Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Yeah, starts tomorrow night. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I don't know about y'all. I didn't go to cool VBSs like that growing up. Like, I went to a VBS where you, like, memorized a verse, and if you memorized a verse, they gave you a rock that was painted gold. You didn't do anything with it. They just gave you a rock that was painted gold and said something like, your treasures are in heaven, son. I'm like, okay, awesome, but can I have a fruit snack? You know, like something. Uh, it's going to be an amazing week. You know, that's a hype video, but I want to let you know it is going to be a blast for the kids. But we're all about discipling and reaching the next generation. And uh, they're going to learn and there's going to be lives impacted for eternity this next week. We're believing for over 300 kids to be here at VBS this week. Uh, and we've got a lot registering right now, but you guys can help us. Uh, there is a tendency, just being honest with you, let me pass you for a second. We've been in a little bit of a season where I'm wondering if maybe we've gotten a little bit complacent in understanding our role and responsibility of inviting people to come to church. Uh, I meet a lot of people that, that come to church that are invited by many of you. Uh, I also meet people that just heard about us, you know, we're driving by or whatever. Uh, but I, I think it, it can get to a place where we forget we still got neighbors, we still got people at the grocery stores, we still got people at restaurants that need Jesus. And we are the hands and feet, and if we don't invite them, they may never come. Uh, the stats would show that if someone is invited to come to church, they're 60% more likely to come to church than if they were never invited. So if we'll step out and do that, we're going to continue to reach our city and community and build the kingdom of God. And VBS is a great way to reach kids and in turn reach families. So I want to commission you uh, and give you the, the homework of making sure if you got a bunch of kids running around your neighborhood causing all kinds of issues, making you want to cuss at them and stuff, look. Invite them. Get them to VBS. They'll find deliverance. They'll find freedom. And uh, they'll go back to your neighborhood and just go around and be polite and offer to mow yards and stuff. All right? I'm, I don't know about all that. But they'll be better off than if they don't come. So I want to encourage you guys to invite some people. Uh, turn to your neighbor and elbow them. Say, get your notes ready. I have a feeling this sermon is all about you. Tell them that. Might be. There's a chance. Summertime, summertime, kids are home. Uh, makes you very thankful for school and school routines. Uh, it is, you know, it's like we, <laughs> we forget as parents, like they're still our responsibility, people, right? Like I'm thankful that we get to partner with some teachers during the school year, but then when it's, that's all done and they're home, it's like, man, I think they, you guys need to go back to school. Those, they, you need school, that's what you need. And, uh, but they're home and, Parenting is hard, guys. It's hard, you know, so we're trying to figure out how do you balance making sure they get a restful, fun, good summer, have a, build some memories, that kind of thing, uh, but create some structure to where they're not spending their whole life on a screen. You know, that's like the, the goal is how can we not have them just get on technology for 12 hours a day? And uh, it's not easy. I, I've got a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an 11-year-old. So basically, my life is over. And, and, uh, and it's not easy, people. I mean, parenting is difficult. And, and there are times. I've got good kids. I want you to know that. Like, I have, I have good kids. I'd say on any given day, 50% of them love Jesus. And on any given day, 50% of them will be obedient to their parents. And so, you know, that's not bad. I'll take 50%. But I do have good kids. And they tag team. Like, they just decide, hey, today you're going to manifest demons. My, I'll, I'll take tomorrow. And, uh, and, and, it, and it's difficult. And, you know, parenting is one of those things where it can feel incredibly overwhelming. You can get to a point where it's like, I don't know what to do. It, it, it's so much more difficult as they get older because they get an opinion. It doesn't mean their opinion's right, they, but they get some strong opinions. And, they, you know, and, they, and then they learn some stuff and they think they've learned it all. They, they know everything now. You know? and, and it's not easy to continue to lead and influence and try to be parents that 
operate in the fruit of the Spirit, and it's difficult. It can feel like at some points, like, this is too much. <laughs> it's overwhelming. All of us have things like that. Some of you, you're in the middle of that right now. You're dealing with something. Could be health. It could be a habitual sin that you're hiding. Could be an addiction. Could be finances. I, I don't know what it is, but some of you, you're, you're in the middle of that right now. And that is your giant. And you've got to learn how to fight that thing. And that's what I want to talk about today. Sooner or later, we're all going to have something like that, seemingly impossible. The truth is, if you don't face it, it will wind up affecting every area of your life. So we're in the Life of David series this summer. Uh, just push pause right there. If you're visiting with us today for the first time, I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome. Uh, we want you to enjoy this service. More important than that, we want you to get plugged into the body of Christ. If this isn't your flavor of church, that's okay. God likes lots of different flavors of church because he knows that all of us are different. If you don't get plugged in here, you need to get plugged in somewhere. And if you want me to help you get plugged in somewhere, if this isn't your flavor, let me know. I know a lot of the churches around here. I know their vision. I know their pastors. I know what kind of flavor of church they have. My heart is that you get plugged into a local church, wherever that is. The reason why I'm saying all that is because during worship, and, and I believe this happens on some level every Sunday, but during worship today, the Spirit of God was here in a powerful way. If you've been around the things of God, usually you can identify that. Like, man, I can feel the presence of God here. But it, maybe you're visiting, you're unchurched, de-churched, you haven't been around the things of God, and it's different for you. Like, you don't even know, like, well, what is going on? Like, you can, you can sense something's going on, but you don't know how to quantify it. You don't know how to qualify it. And then you can even see some people around you, like, as we're worshiping, they look kind of weird. You know, like people rocking and raising their hands. And, and you may not be used to stuff like that. And that's okay. Uh, just a, a simple explanation is this. The reason why people would express themselves during those songs like that is because God has impacted them in a powerful way. And, and sometimes the words of songs are just not enough. And these are demonstrations of surrender. These are demonstrations of honor and glory because he's worthy. And we believe that if you can go to some concert of some person that you will never have a personal relationship with and know every one of their songs, every lyric, and make a total fool out of yourself, being a fanboy or fangirl, you can come before the creator of the universe, your heavenly father, and worship him with everything that you have because he is worthy. You never have to fight for people. You never have to fight with people to get tickets in the presence of God. You just have to show up and the presence of God will meet you with you. I'm so thankful for that. People are fighting over tickets to see some dude and I'm just like, that don't seem right. It don't seem like you need to do that. You don't need to do that. So I just wanted to give some clarification. I just felt a little bit like, hey, the Holy Spirit just said, hey, just, just tell people why they're seeing what they're seeing experiencing what they're experiencing. We got a lot of church people in here. A lot of you know what's going on, but some of you may not. All right, David and Goliath, probably one of the most popular, most spoken on stories in the Bible. I would suggest that probably a lot of people who are agnostic, atheists, even people from other religions all around the world, they would be able to tell you this one story in the Bible. Uh, a lot of us, we grew up with Sunday school teachers wearing out flannel boards telling this story growing up in Sunday school somewhere. Like, we know this story. And I don't want you to disengage just because you heard the story before. Because a lot of times we need to be reminded how to face giants and how to fight them. So the story picks up in 1 Samuel. And David comes onto the scene and this is really, it's after this that David is catapulted into his calling, although there is a, 
There's a period of time where he doesn't actually get to step into his anointing as king. This is really where he kind of came out of the shadows and it became very clear who he was going to be. And he began to operate in his gifting and in his calling. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's a quick it's a quick acceleration of things because one day he's tending sheep and the next day people are writing songs about him. And there's a lot you can learn about how to handle those seasons just by watching his character. But he had to face Goliath first. So this story is also a prophetic shadowing uh, that shows us Jesus. We can see Jesus. If, if you think that Jesus only shows up in the New Testament, you may just not be able to see He's throughout the entire word of God. There's foreshadowings, there's images of him. And David was an image of Jesus. And the reason why it's important to understand that is because in the same way that David killed and cut the head off of Goliath, Jesus showed up, killed sin in the grave and cut off the head of sin in the grave and defeated it. And, and so in all of our lives, we have to understand how to address these giants so that we can kill them, so they don't have authority over us, so that they can continue to have a loud voice in our minds and in our feelings and emotions and in our spirit. So this is what I encourage you. Whether you are right now or not, you will. If you are facing what feels like something way too big, overwhelming. Whatever that is, if it's, if it's emotional, if it's physical, if it's relational, financial, whatever it is, go ahead and call it Goliath. Call it Goliath. And the reason why that's important is because if you just start with that, start in faith calling it Goliath because we know how it wound up going for Goliath. So whatever that trial is, whatever that struggle is, start with that. Just start with the simple act of faith that the next time somebody asks you how things are going and you're facing this and it's somebody you can trust, you can be honest with, and you start telling them about this, don't just tell them how overwhelming it is. Tell them, and that's my Goliath. Because you can tell them how difficult it is, but if it is all covered by, and it's my Goliath, then you can both stand in agreement that whatever it is, it's still gonna go down. It's gonna die. How do you spot that your giant is arrived? How do you spot that your giant has arrived? First of all, giants have a daunting presence about them, okay? So the scripture on this, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse three. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites the other, the valley with a valley between the champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came up from the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span, nine and a half feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung over his back. His spear's shaft was like a weaver's rod. The iron point weighed 600 shackles. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Everything about this dude is huge. Theologians would say that probably all of his armor, his weaponry all together weighed over 200 pounds. He was wearing a full-grown man just for his armor. His shield was so big, a full-grown man carried his shield by itself. Everything about this dude is overwhelming. Daunting. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle. Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Right there is where you can identify the problem to start with. Why is he saying that they're the servants of Saul instead of servants of the mighty God? Somewhere along the line, they lost their identity. Choose a man to have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, then we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects in service. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let him and let us fight each other. Everything about this dude, he's screaming, he's yelling. I'm sure it's incredibly intimidating. Everything describing him is hovering over them. I don't know if you've ever had like an actual person in your life that you felt this from, like just this huge, huge presence. 
my mom used to work for the San Antonio Spurs, and so I, I, every once in a while I got to go to the games, and I'd get to get there early, and i get to see some of these players. These, you just have no idea watching on TV just how big these dudes are. Like, these are huge dudes. Like, Tim Duncan, he's a, he's a big, he's a large man. Uh, but, but I've also had some people in my life that tried to intimidate me using their size. I've shared that when I was younger, especially in middle school and junior high, I got picked on and bullied a lot. And one of the guys uh, that was one of the bullies in my life, his name was Gabe. And Gabe was a big dude. I remember the first time when I got into seventh grade and he was in eighth grade, I remember the first time I saw this dude, I just assumed he was one of the maintenance workers at school. Like he, he was over six foot tall, had a full beard. And, and, and I was like, oh, this looks like a, you know, cool dude, you know? And then I found out, no, he's in eighth grade. He got held back three years, I think. And so, uh, so he's just a big dude. And, and he had, he had some issues. How many of y'all know hurt people hurt people? And so he was a bully. I, I have a tendency to feel like a lot of bullies, they, they like to try to intimidate people, you know, and so a lot of them, they use their size. And, and if, if they're a shorter bully, they've always got like a couple of cronies that are big guys that do the dirty work for them, you know? And so, but I don't remember exactly what happened, but, but I, I got to school one morning and everybody said, hey, Gabe's out to get you. I'm like, what did I do to Gabe? I didn't, I didn't do anything to Gabe. And they're like, well, I don't know what you did, but he's mad and he's gonna be waiting for you after school and he's gonna, he's gonna kill you, you know? <laughs> he's gonna beat you up. And I was like, that doesn't sound good at all. And I remember that whole day, that's all I could think about, you know? It's like, man, Gabe's waiting for me. He's waiting for me after school. Gabe's gonna kill me. Gabe is Navajo. Gabe, now, he's now, he may have, he's gonna scout me. Gabe is going to scout me after school. Like, this is gonna happen. And I'm just thinking about this. Like, every, every other thought is about Gabe waiting for me to beat me up after school. I'll be in mouth. What's 80 times 70? A large man, big guy named Gabe. He's gonna kill me. Uh, I, I, that's all I could think about. And it's the same thing with the giants in our life. Every, if every fifth thought is about this thing that's overwhelming you, then that's one of the ways you can identify this is a giant. Could be a fear, could be an insecurity, could be a, a situation, a circumstance. But if that thing keeps coming up over and over again, and it's consuming bandwidth in your life, there's a good chance that's your giant. Who, what has your giant been? An unfaithful spouse? An abusive relationship, an abusive parent, a terrible boss? A mean spiritual leader? A struggling kid? There's financial giants, career giants, health giants, addiction or other sin giants. And you have to make the decision when these things present itself, Will you advance, will you freeze, or will you retreat? Because all of us have those choices when we're facing them. Another thing, giants affect feelings. Verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Man, fear. Fear, that's, that's one of the reasons why it's consuming your thoughts. If every fifth thought is this thing, it's usually centered around the fear of what it's gonna do to you, how it's gonna hurt your life. And it just keeps popping up over and over again. So I wanna give you some of the strongest pastoral advice I can give you. Never make a decision based in fear, ever, ever. Don't ever make a decision based in fear. Fear is not from God. There is a fear of the Lord, which is about his reverence. It's about the awe of who God is. But the truth is, if you have true fear of the Lord, you can never fear anything else. Because you understand greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You just never waver in that. But when you make decisions in fear, it creates a stronghold in your life meaning that that gives the enemy the ability to come in and establish his grip in a really strong way. And you're gonna have to deal with that at some point. I find that most fears are irrational. And I find that typically what happens is 
You don't come out of the womb and have a fear about an insecurity in your life. Like you don't come out of the womb and have these fears. Usually it just starts with small things. And almost every fear is learned. So that's a good parenting tip. You have to know that your kids are watching you. If you respond in fear, they're gonna respond the same way and usually they'll up it because your lowest standard will be the highest standard of the people you lead and influence. So let's just go to something silly. You freak out when you see a spider around your kids. Guess what? You just taught them. You just taught them. But to me, that's, that, that's a silly one, but let's just talk about that because people will let an insect, one one millionth their mass, dictate their life. You will leave a home because there's an insect in there. You will want to burn the thing to the ground if there's a snake or anything like that. And the truth is, there are a couple of spiders that if you get bit by them, you will get sick. The rest of them, they can't hurt you. They can't hurt you. You're like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Have you seen a spider? They are scary looking. They're, I, if you touch them, you die. If you touch them, you get too close to them, they will jump on your eyeball and they will bite your eyeball, and you'll die. You'll die. You're, they're going to lay eggs in your ear, and then they're going to hatch. <laughs> and I'm helping all of you, right? <laughs> the average human will swallow eight spiders in their sleep over the course of their... So just, oh, I just want to throw that out there. May you rest well. But the thing is, fears like that, the enemy uses, and whether you recognize or not, he's beginning to lay a foundation. He's like, if I can get them operating and reacting out of fear in silly, irrational things, then I can make a, mount, a molehill, a mountain with other things in their life and make it feel like it's just, it's too huge. It's too huge. Also, giants hang around. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning, every evening, and took his stand. Anybody ever have somebody at their home who has overstayed their welcome? If they're sitting by you right now, don't look at them. Don't do it. It's like in-laws or anybody like that. Just don't look at them. And, and it's thing is you, like you try to do just like what any of us would do, you know, just start dropping some hints. Whoa, man, it is, what a, what a great time. It's been so good. It was good with you guys. Up to now, it's been awesome. It's been good. Whew, man, got an early morning. It's been a long day. So, and some people, they just can't, they'll be like, yeah, it's been good. So I have a pastor friend, I won't say his name, but it, it rhymes with stick. And, uh, and this is what he does when people have just been out of his house and he's, he's done. You know what he does? He goes to bed. He just, he gets up like that we could be sitting around the living room and he just stands up and be like, Good night, y'all. And he just goes to bed. And then the rest of his family, they just follow his lead. Like, yeah, we're going to bed now. Uh, and I find that people, it's very difficult for them to stay in your house once you've all gone to bed. If you ever do have somebody that stays in your house after you went to bed, you've got a whole other issue on your hands. But this is what these giants are like. They're not gonna leave. They're not going to leave. They're, they're not polite. You're not going to be able to just say a sweet little tweetable phrase at them and 
they're going to pack up and leave you alone. No, they're going to hang out. They're going to hang around. You can't wish them away. You can't bury your head and hope that they leave. Sometimes when we're facing these things in our lives, it's a little bit like reverting back to playing hide-and-seek like we did when we were three. You play hide-and-seek with a three-year-old, they think as long as you can't see their eyes, you can't see them. So a lot of times with these giants in our lives, we're walking around like, nope, 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 can't see me. It's not there. I don't see them. They don't see me. And it's still there. It's still hanging around. Satan has a plan for the fight. Satan has a plan for the fight. The first part is this, Satan wants to isolate. You've got to understand this tactic. Goliath is saying, just bring out one of your warriors. And this was not uncommon for the Philistines, not uncommon for the culture at that time. You bring your best, we'll bring our best. And this fight will be decided with two people. And it, it seems pretty logical, right? Why waste thousands of soldiers if this thing can be decided with just a couple of people? Um, the enemy will always try to use things that seem reasonable and logical to make sure that he keeps you in a losing position. He'll try to keep you isolated is one of the first ways. And all you have to do is watch National Geographic for 15 minutes and you learn it's not smart to be isolated away from your herd. You get eaten. And, uh, but this is part of his, his plan. He wants you to fight alone. But God always meant for your battles to be a, a family affair, to be fought with your church family at least, with biblical community. There was this family in our town growing up, the Archulettas. They had 13 kids, nine of them, their oldest were boys. You did not mess with the Archulettas because if you mess with the Archulettas, you get the whole Archuleta. And it was a lot. And at one point, my brother and I were trying to mow yards to make a little extra cash. But the problem is the Archuleta boys all mowed yards too. That, like that was their summer job. And so we had to be very aware of their territory and the neighborhoods that they'd already laid claim to where they're mowing yards. You don't go into those neighborhoods. Okay, that was not your hood. That was their hood. You stay out of those places. And, uh, and it was intimidating because I remember at one point, like, <laughs> like we went by this house and we were gonna ask if we can mow the yard and there were the Archuleta boys, you know, they're like with their shears, like, and like, okay, we're not, we ain't doing this. Like, we're gonna stay away from this. But here's the thing. You never mess with the Archuletas with anything. You just knew, like, this, that family had each other's backs. I mean, what, <laughs> they didn't necessarily have the best reputation in town, but, but, but they were a tight family. You didn't mess with them. Uh, I think the enemy needs to know you don't mess with God's family. Uh, but you can make it very clear that you're connected to God's family. If you begin to isolate, the enemy says, yes, this is great. They may be a believer, but a believer on their own, I will wear them down. I'll wear them out and I'll take them out. By themselves, I can take them out. God has designed us to be connected in relationship with other people. So, we pray as a team, we serve like an army, and we fight like a family. Fight like a family, just like they did in all the Fast and Furious movies. Part one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That being said, let me say this. We always say as a church, be authentic with everyone, be truly transparent with a few. Okay? Meaning, you don't have to put every giant that you're facing in life on social media. It's not always wise for you to do that. But you need to have a group of people that you can trust that you can go and fight the real fight with. Satan likes to isolate. Satan has an end goal in mind. 
the, the Philistines didn't want to just win this battle. This was in the hill country. If they could win the hill country, they had a strategic advantage. They could start taking territory after territory after that until they took all of Israel. You have to know that the enemy is not just interested in that one area of your life where your giant is manifesting. A lot of times we try to compartmentalize. And we'll say, well, I mean, this is, it's just my health or finances or just my job or just this little addiction. I've got this. I, I, can, I can quit anytime I want or this secret sin. No, he doesn't just want that. He wants your mind, he wants your feelings, he wants your actions, and he wants all those things to begin to affect every relationship. He wants to destroy your marriage if you're married. He wants to destroy your kids if he can destroy your kids. And by the way, he works in generations. He wants to get your grandkids. He wants to get your grand, great-grandkids. And if you don't deal with him, if you don't deal with him, he's not interested in just taking one part of it. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy everything. You have to understand He's got an end goal. He's coming after your life. We know David destroyed Goliath. Hit him with a stone, knocked him down, cut his head off, bat flip, mic drop. But how? How do you fight your giant? First of all, you gotta see the fight with spiritual eyes. See the fight with spiritual eyes. There are a lot of giants that may be manifesting in the natural that feel that are presenting themselves in a, in a way that feels very real, especially health. When you start seeing it and feeling it with your finances, yes, they are all manifesting in the natural, but you have to understand that you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You gotta take the fight to the real enemy first and that's in the spiritual because if you don't deal with the enemy in the spiritual, then he will definitely beat you in the natural. He'll get you. So you gotta see this whole thing with spiritual eyes. How did David see it? As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, the champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines, shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the men, they fled from him in great fear. Can you just picture this? You got a bunch of grown men, soldiers, standing around. As soon as Goliath comes out and starts talking, they're diving into tents. There, there's that much fear around these guys that David saw that, and he asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine, removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Bring in that smoke. Do you see the difference between how David was seeing the situation and everybody else that had been around that? Because the army's like, man, he's like nine and a half feet tall and we've, we've estimated how much his armor weighs. And his spear, my wife does a lot of weaving. His spear looks like a weaver's rod and, and he really loud. Got the deepest voice I've ever heard in my life. He's like a professional cusser. Everything about this guy is intimidating. And even David's brothers, who are supposed to be these studs, right? But they've all been sitting around being influenced, talking about it, sharing their fear, sharing how discouraged they are. But David had been hanging, hanging out in a field in the presence of his God. Not that he wasn't facing stuff, but he'd been spending his time around the presence of God. I promise you, you would much rather hang out in the fields of your Lord than in the courts of man's opinion. Because people will always have a tendency to tend towards fear and be given over to it, and let their decisions be driven by it. When David is just in a different headspace, he's like, no, what is going on? What is going on? How are, you, how are you guys acting like this? And he's just like a kid, 13, 14 years old. He's like the run of his family, but he's kind of cocky. He's like, what? Not that it matters too much, but what am I gonna get when I take this dude out? Like what, what's going, and, and I find that a lot of teenagers are kind of like this, all right? If you're a teenager in here, I just wanna let you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to dog on you at all, but you, you got a little bit of irrational cockiness about you. It happens a little. I was the same way when I was a teenager. I was like, nothing take me out, like I got this. You see this manifest in the gym, all right? 
Because these dudes will show up, teenage dudes, and let's just be honest, if they turn sideways and stick out their tongue, they look a little bit like a zipper. All right? So, but they will walk, they will. So, me and my bros are here. We're going to lift the whole gym. There's not enough weight in here for how much we're going to lift. Do, do me a favor, put a, put a couple 25s on both sides over there. Going to warm up a little bit. You know, and they're wearing, you know, they're wearing, they're wearing these shirts. The sleeves are gone, but it's more than the sleeve. There's a, there's a piece of thread. I call them wor- workout bibs. And they're wearing the workout bib. Oh, man, they're just like, they just own it. They, they'll, in front of the mirror after a set, you know, it's like, ah, oh, yeah. Gains, baby. That's what I'm talking about. The truth is, when you know who you are in Christ, you should have a little bit of cockiness about you. That when you sense the enemy coming against you, you're like, please, please. You're defeated already. You're a defeated foe. I fight from a place of victory already. I'm just gonna tell you what's true. It's not because of me, it's because Jesus did the work. You're done. It's over. When you face your Goliath and you see him the way that God sees him already defeated, you also have to see yourself the way that God sees you, more than an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And you've got to be able to say that is not of God, with God, from God, or for God, so it's going down. Also, fight with the right weapons. So I'm just going to summarize the scripture. Basically, David goes to Saul, who is supposed to be the guy stepping up. But he had already turned his back on God. He's dealing with demons. He's discouraged. And David goes to him and he says, hey, I want to go face this guy. And Saul's like, please, child. David has been training to be a soldier since he was three months old. You're a shepherd. This is not going to work. So then David what he starts doing is he starts telling him his testimony. And he says, yeah, but when I was tending my father's sheep, a bear came, done. A lion came, over. I think I can do this. And here's the thing, he convinces Saul. Saul's like, you know what? I think this is a great idea. That just shows how far Saul had gotten from actually walking in his calling, okay? But then Saul's like, all right, but if you're going to do this, you know, you got to have the right outfit. If you're going to go fight Saul. So he tries to put his armor on, which is dumb because we know in Scripture, Saul was head and shoulders above the rest of the men. That's the reason why man picked Saul, because he was tall and handsome and strong. And so there's no way that his armor is going to fit Runt David. But he tries anyway, puts all this stuff on. David's like, you know, I appreciate it, but nah, this is not going to work. I know what I need. I know what God has called me. I know what he has gifted me with. I'm not going to put on somebody else's calling. I'm not going to put on somebody else's anointing. I'm not going to try to wear somebody else's gifting because it is ill-fitting. I'm going to put on what I know God has given me because that's how I'm going to defeat the giant, by just being who God has called me, gifted me, and created me to be. And you got to know that for you too. When you start putting on other people's armor or what they want to try to put on you or what they're suggesting you need to be or you compare or you let other people try to project their expectations, you're not going to be able to fight the fight that's coming. You'll be ill-equipped. It'll be burdensome. You won't be able to move spiritually. You just got to use what God has already called you, gifted you, and equipped you with then you'll be able to defeat it. And that's what David did. He went down. He's like, okay, I'm going to get five stones. Most theologians believe that he got five stones not because he thought he was a bad shot. He got five stones because he knew Goliath had four brothers. 
And he's like, I'm just gonna go ahead and get enough ammo to take care of this whole mess. I'm not just gonna wait there. I'm just gonna go ahead because he knew, look, if, if God lets me miss on the first one, it's over. <laughs> it's done, okay? And then he goes and he fights Goliath and he beats him. But he fights him as a shepherd. And this is a foreshadowing of Jesus too. He fights as a shepherd defending his sheep. And that's what Jesus did for us. He fought as a shepherd defending his sheep. Saul wasn't doing his job. And David stepped into it. And that was an image of what was going to happen to the whole kingdom. You got to know your weapons. You got to know what God's giving you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Do not go to the weapons of this world. Sometimes one of the worst weapons you can wield is a post on social media. Sometimes when you go there, it's like playing right into the enemy's hands. It isn't that you don't need to post, but you better spend some time going before the Lord and doing some spiritual warfare before you ever think about posting something out there. Those are the weapons of the world. Weapons of the world are, hey, I'm just gonna, I'm a, oh, I am so brave at this keyboard. I'm just gonna tell everybody, I'm gonna let everybody know what's going on. Those are the weapons of the world. We don't fight like the world does. We fight with spiritual weapons. What's your first weapon? Faith. You gotta start with that. The good news is, even if it's the size of a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to go be removed in the sea, and it'll happen. It's not necessarily about the size of your faith, it's your willingness to put that faith in the hands of a capable God. But you've got to start with some amount of faith. That's what, what Brooke was speaking into earlier. Increase our faith, God. And the second thing is the testimony. It's what God has already done in my life, but also what he's done in the lives of other people. One of the things that gave David confidence was not just what he had seen in his own life and God giving him the ability to kill a bear and to kill a lion, but he knew his history. And he knew that he had family members back in the day, one guy named Caleb, that had been already killing giants. And Dave, or Caleb, when he came into the promised land and God was, they were taking over Israel, they came to Caleb and said, hey, you're one of the only guys that's been faithful. You're one of the only guys that was in the wilderness that get to come in to the promised land. We wanna give you the best pick of all the land in all of Israel. If it were me, I'm gonna be like, I'm living that salt life down by the Sea of Galilee. You know, I'm going to build a nice little house down there by the Dead Sea. And every day I'm going to get up and float around, use a little bit of that mud. It's a nice exfoliant. I'm going to be healthy skin for the rest of my life. Chilling. You know what Caleb said? I'll take the hill country because there's still giants up there that need to be killed. At 80 years old. At 80 years old, he said, I'm not done dealing with God's enemies yet. So I'm gonna go and keep killing giants until the land really belongs to God's kids. I pray a spirit of Caleb into every one of you. The word of God said that he had a different spirit about him. We need some different spiritual people around here. People that say it doesn't matter how old I am, it doesn't matter how young I am, I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna keep taking land until his kingdom come and his will be done in my life as it is in heaven. So David knew that. He used that testimony. Remind yourself and the devil. Remind yourself and the devil. I remember when I was broke and God provided. I remember when I had a bad health report, but God brought healing. I remember when I was addicted or trapped in a secret sin and God brought freedom. I remember when my friends had a family member who died, but they still trusted God. They walked in peace and even had some supernatural joy. If I can do it too, God will win the battle. I can trust him. I can trust him. It's a great phrase. You need to get historical with your testimony instead of historical with your fear. Start reminding the devil what's already been done. And the third weapon is use what God has put in your hand right now. He's put prayer. He's put the word. This isn't just meditating on it. It's, quote, it's quoting it. It's claiming it. He's given you promises in his word. You need to remind the devil, remind your own ears. This is what God's promised. And he's given us the weapon of worship where we get to declare who he is. 
The last thing is this, run at your giant. Run at your giant. As the Philistine moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. The devil needs to learn that if you move towards him, you're coming right back at him. Because anything you run at, at any point, any problem that you run at, it loses authority over you the moment you say, I'm not backing down. It loses authority. It loses emotional control. The word says the righteous are as bold as a lion. We roar and we run at giants, not away from them. Let's stand. Everybody stand up. You know, that song we were singing about how God is the same God. God's the same God. God's the same God. And I believe that with all my heart. The same God that healed then can heal now. The same God that delivered then can deliver now. The same God that split the sea can do miracles like that now. God can do that. He is the same God. So here's the thing. If he is the same God and he hasn't changed and we're having a difficult time seeing him move like that, then who changed? God didn't, so maybe we did. Maybe we did. It reminds me of a story of this older couple and they're driving down the road in an old pickup truck and it has a bench seat and the husband's driving and the wife's clear over on the other side, clear all the way against the passenger side window. And they're going down the road and they pull up to a stoplight and this other car pulls up next to them and it's this younger couple and they're over there and they're holding hands and they're affectionate and they're trying to kiss each other and all this stuff. And, and the wife of the older couple, she looks over there and she looks at her husband and she said, we used to be like that. What happened? Why don't we do that anymore? Why, why aren't we affectionate like that anymore? And the, the husband who's driving, he leans over and he looks at the couple in the car next to him and then he looks at his wife and he looks ahead and he thinks for a little bit and he says... Who moved? I'm driving. Scoot over. God didn't move. Maybe you did. Maybe you moved. Maybe you moved away from him. And I want to give you a chance to move back towards him. So if it's a giant, if it's a giant, Let's start the fight in the right spot. It's spiritual. And if there's any person in this room, you've been dealing with a giant, I want to give you a chance to move towards it. I want to give you a chance to say, I, I've been a little frozen. I've been trying to avoid it. I've been trying to ignore it. I've been trying to, it's not going away. I want to give you a chance to symbolically say, I'm going to move towards it. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to let God destroy it. And if that's you, whatever that giant is, emotional, physical, relational, financial, habitual sin, addiction, whatever it is, if you know that you need to deal with that giant, get out of your chair right now and come down here to the front and find one of our prayer team. Move. Don't hesitate. Don't let fear dictate you not coming down here right now. Welcome, guys. We love you. We're proud of you. The word says it's in your weakness that God's power is made perfect. If you really want God to show up, you may have to be vulnerable. You may have to show that you don't have it and you're going to need him. Come on down. If you sense somebody's trying to get around you, will you please get out of the way? Anybody else? Keep moving, even, there, even while I'm talking. Keep moving. Keep moving. If you're wondering, man, it's like, I've got this big thing, but I, I don't know, it's not that big of a deal. They've got other people probably a lot more serious, bigger thing. No, the Holy Spirit is telling you, it's you. Just be obedient. Just be obedient. Okay, even as I'm talking, you can still come. You, and if, somebody, if they're busy, you just wait. We'll get you. Well, I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads. Everybody else, unless you're coming to the altar, unless you're coming to the altar, I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads. Might be a couple people in here that you are away from God altogether. No relationship, no confidence 
of your eternity. You don't know who you are in him. And the truth is, if you don't know who you are in him, you can't beat giants. If you're here and you know that you're away from God, you need to call on him. You know you need a relationship with him. You're distant from him. I wanna ask you to put your hand up right now across this room. Say, I need to call on Jesus. It's me, I'm away from him. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Raise it high though. Everybody stand, it's a little more difficult for me to see. I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him. I need to come back to him. Okay. Thank you, got it. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Got it. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I'm not strong enough. I don't have it. I've tried everything. Nothing's working. I'm ready to give up and surrender to Jesus. Anyone else? I need him. I'm ready to call on him as my Lord and Savior. Okay. Father God, I thank you for those couple of hands. I thank you, Lord, for anybody else that knows that you were telling them to raise their hand, but they just had a difficult time in that moment. You see them. You know them. You see their heart. And I thank you for meeting with them right now. If you know you need to call on Jesus, your Lord and Savior, just say a simple prayer like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness and I repent. I turn away from living for myself. I turn away from living the way the world wants me to live and I turn towards you. And I confess you as my Lord and I confess you as my Savior today. I wanna live for you for the rest of my life. Father God, I pray that you continue to move. I pray that if there's any person that's facing a giant in this room, that they wouldn't walk out of this place without drawing near to you in faith and believing that you've already overcome it. They just need to align themselves with you so that giant can be defeated. 